You could open your Bibles again to the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John. Here we read from the 34th and 35th verses that Jesus said a new commandment. Everybody say new commandment. A new commandment I give unto you. What is this new commandment? That you love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If ye have love one to another. How are they going to know that you are his disciples? Jesus said this is the way if you have love one to another. And so the new law, this law of love, was to take the place of the old law or the old Ten Commandments. You see, Jesus fulfilled the old covenant and he established a new covenant in his blood. And there is no need for the Ten Commandments now for us who are in Christ. Because we've noticed from the 13th chapter of Romans that if we walk in love, we have fulfilled the law. You see, immediately when you say that, because folks have been so religiously brainwashed until they miss what the Bible is saying. When you say that, they say, well, you mean we don't have to keep the Ten Commandments? Well, if you walk in love, you're not going to break any commandment that was ever given to curb sin. If I love you, I'm not going to bear false witness against you, Emma. If I love you, I'm not going to steal from you, Emma. The Bible said, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And so we don't have to fool with a bunch of commandments. Just take the new one that he gave us, bless God, and abide in it, and walk in it. Now, both Ezekiel and Jeremiah prophesied concerning the new covenant. The writer of the book of Hebrews refers to those prophecies. And in those prophecies, for instance, in the 8th chapter of Hebrews, where it said uh, concerning Jesus, let's just start with the 6th verse and read. But now hath he, talking about Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry. Now Jesus, in other words, when he talks about a more excellent ministry, you'll find out that previous in this chapter, he was talking about Moses, he was talking about the priesthood and all of that. But Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much more also he is the mediator of a better covenant. I want you to hold that in your mind now. Better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant, talking about the old covenant or the Old Testament, had been faultless, then no place should have been found for the second covenant. Talking about the new covenant or the New Testament. For finding fault with them, he saith, that is God said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. That's the New Testament that we're walking in the light of. With the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenants that I made with their fathers, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant. See, this is the new covenant. The New Testament is the new covenant. 
This is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. Now, uh, by the word put in my King James translation, Cambridge Bible, King James translation, there's a little number one. And I look over in the margin and find number one and it says GR, Greek. And it says, instead of saying, I will put my laws, I will give. The Greek said, I will give my laws into their mind. You see, he gave us this New Testament. We can read it. Blessed be God, we just got through reading it. Amen. And he's given us his new covenant in our mind. Now then, secondly, if that's as far as he went, it wouldn't have been enough. But I'll write them in their heart. Now, you see, the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God on a table of stone. But the New Commandment is written by the finger of God. You understand when the Bible talks about the finger of God, it's talking about the Holy Ghost all through the Old Testament. And that this New Commandments are written in here, in our spirits. Amen. Amen. That's exactly what he said. Now, how is it written in our spirits? Well, go to Romans 5, 5, and it'll tell you the love of God. The love of God. What kind of love? love of Human love? No, we already had that. What kind of love? The love of God. You see, the Bible said God is love. So then the kind of love that God is. Or putting it another way, the God kind of love is shed abroad in our hearts. Now, when he said hearts here, actually he's referring to our spirits, the inward man down in here. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. That's how he wrote it in our hearts, by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so really, if you'd learn to listen to your heart, you know on the inside of you what you ought to do. But you see, we weren't taught to listen to our hearts. We got our heads all cluttered up with religious teaching instead of getting our minds renewed with the Word of God. Amen? And so then, one can readily see that that law is written in our hearts. It's in there. Praise God. Now, let's look at some more scripture real quickly here. For instance, let's look into the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. And notice this. Paul is writing here to the churches of Galatia. Now, these were Gentile churches. This letter was not written just to one church, but it was written to be read by the churches throughout Galatia, if you'll read the first chapter. Notice in this fifth chapter... And in the 14th verse, he said, for all the law, everybody say all the law, law. is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, if I love my neighbor, then I've fulfilled all of the law. Amen. Amen. I don't have to worry about any other word or commandment. Are you listening to me? But you see, people fight small wars over this and that and the other. When it's so simple, they stumble over the simplicity of it and miss the whole thing. Now then, let's skip down to 
the 22nd verse and notice what he said. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, uh, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Hallelujah. Now, uh, the translators of the King James in translating this, that 22nd verse, they, they capitalized the letter S there, which would lead you to believe that that refers to the Holy Spirit. But as W. E. Vine points out in his Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, there is only one Greek word for spirit, and that is pneuma. And uh, you, you, you have to tell, it's difficult to tell sometimes whether he's talking about the Holy Spirit or the human spirit if he just uses the word spirit because the same word is used. If he says Holy Spirit, then we understand Holy Spirit. But it's quite obvious, and I'll prove it to you, it's quite obvious that he's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's talking about the human spirit. Now, the very first fruit that shows up in the recreated, and while I'm talking, you turn to the 15th chapter of John's Gospel, and we'll prove it to you. The very first fruit that shows up in the recreated, born again, child of God, our human spirit is love. That's the very first fruit. Now, Jesus said in the 15th chapter of John's gospel, let's start with the very first verse, I am the vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Now where does the fruit grow? Here's a tree. Where does the fruit grow? It grows out there on the branch, doesn't it? It grows out there on the branch because of the life that comes up out of the trunk, the vine, so to speak, of that tree. And uh, you see, because of the life of Christ within. Hallelujah. The fruit grows on the branch. Amen. Amen. This is the fruit, the very first fruit that shows up or that grows in the born again human spirit. Now, Let's take another scripture to prove that. Turn to 1 John. 1 John, 1st epistle of John, the third chapter. And again, the very 14th verse. We know that we have passed from death unto life. That means we've passed from spiritual death unto eternal life. That means we've been born again. we become children of God. How do we know it? Because we love the brethren. I said that's the very first fruit that shows up, isn't it? You see, this is the fruit of the born again human spirit because of the life of Christ within. And that life has been imparted unto our spirits through the word by the Holy Spirit. And that love, a measure of that love, has been imparted through the word by the Holy Spirit unto our spirits. Hallelujah. And so that new law is written, praise God, in our hearts and in our spirits. Now, in uh, the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the 32nd verse, uh, 
And here he said, but be ye kind, tender-hearted. Well, that means we can be kind. God wouldn't tell us to do something we couldn't do. If God told us to do something that we can't do, then we could accuse him of being unjust, and he would be unjust. But if God tells me to do something, I know I can do it. Amen. Because first of all, he furnishes the ability to do it. Amen. He not only tells us to love, but he furnishes us the love to love with. Amen. And so he said, be ye kind. Because you see, this kind of love is kind. Be ye kind, tender-hearted one toward another, forgiving one another. You know, love and forgiveness go hand in hand. Forgiving one another. Now how? Look in Ephesians 4.32. How? Forgiving one another even as God. I can forgive even as God forgives. Now why can I do that? Why can I forgive even as God forgives? Because, you see, the same kind of love that God is has been shed abroad in my heart, in my spirit, by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, how does God forgive? God said, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions, and I will not remember thine iniquities. That's the way he forgives. And that's the way he wants you to forgive. And if you walk in love, that's the way you will forgive. You will not keep reminding people, husband or wife, children or parents, brother or sister, or brother or sister in the Lord, you will not keep reminding one another of past mistakes and sins and failures and what you did to me and how you offended me. Don't shout me down now because I'm preaching real good. Amen. Amen. No, you'll, you'll forget it. Oh, yes, the devil may bring a picture of it to your mind once in a while, but when he does, you'll just look at it and laugh and say, that's so, Satan, that happened all right, but it's all gone. It don't exist anymore because I've forgiven them, they've forgiven me. You know, usually, there's two sides, uh, three sides, somebody said, to every argument. Your side, the other fellow's side, and then the right side. And then usually that's just about the truth of the matter. Amen. You remember again, in connection with the scriptures, love and forgiveness goes hand in hand. In connection with Mark 11, 23 and 24, that we love so much. Thank God for these scriptures. They're the ones that brought me off of the bed of sickness, off of a deathbed, praise the Lord. These scriptures are ones that's helped me to walk in health through the years. And so uh, we, we rejoice. In those wonderful scriptures, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he says shall come to pass, you'll have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe that you'll receive them and ye shall have them. But that's not all of the story. The very next word is that fell from the lips of Jesus, and, and, when ye stand praying. Now you see in the 24th verse he talks about prayer because he said what things ever you desire when you pray, doesn't he? And when you stand praying. Everybody say when you stand praying. praying. Now what's the next word? Forgive. Forgive. See love forgives. Forgive if ye have ought. Forgive if ye have ought against any. Now I know from experience in dealing with so many thousands of people through the years, talking to them 
even on a one-to-one basis, particularly when you pastored and then in smaller meetings, you know, that folks, you know, they, they know it's wrong to have hold something big against somebody, but it might be all right to hold some little old something, you know. But no, Jesus said, if you have ought, ought means anything at all. That means little, big, or middle-sized. Amen. Anything at all. After all, there's a text in the Old Testament that said the little foxes spoil the vines. And that little bitty something that you think don't amount to too much can spoil the vine, can keep you from receiving your healing, can keep you from receiving the blessings of God. Because you see, the Bible also said that faith worketh by love. Amen? Amen. I said amen. Amen. I remember my wife and I were preaching a full gospel businessmen's convention several years ago in New York City. And after I had talked, uh, a lady stopped uh, my wife and I said, may I speak to you? And we said, yes. And she gave us this testimony. She said, I was down in Tulsa. This is before we started Rainbow Bible Training Center. And we had a crusade over using the facilities of Sheridan Road Assembly. And this lady came down from New York State, was in that cruise, came down especially to get into the uh, healing line and to get healed. She had uh, stomach trouble and had a respiratory problem. And so she said, I'm going to be there all the week anyway. And as we encourage people in our meetings, uh, hear as much word as possible before you get into the line. Because I've discovered this. Those people that come one time, hear one message, run right into the line, the very smallest percent of them receive healing. But those folks who listen to the word and respond unto the word, they're the folks that receive healing. We were eating today in a cafe, or a cafeteria here. And a gentleman stopped, tapped me on the shoulder, shook hands with me. And he said, Brother Egan, I was healed of crippling rheumatoid arthritis. I could not lift my arms. And he lifted them. And they were perfect. I could see that. His hands were deformed, crippling rheumatoid arthritis. And I was perfectly healed reading your little book in him, in him, little book. I read it over and over again. I found those scriptures concerning healing, read them over and over and over and over and not just a one shot deal. You see what I mean? And all of my arthritis disappeared. I saw it. I saw it. Praise God. Shook hands with him. Amen. Praise his holy name forever. Well, thank God God's word works. But this lady from New York said, well, I'm going to be here all the weekend away. I'll wait toward the end of the week to get into the healing line. But as she came to the day services and we began to teach and share some of these same things, she said, well, I see uh, something because you see this lady, this was several years ago. And she had been in, uh, I suppose, in every leading healing evangelist in America had laid hands on her. Now, you know folks ought to have enough sense to know that if they don't receive healing after hands have been laid on them at least a few times, and particularly by those that are especially used of God, that something has to be wrong with them. Amen. Amen. But you see, too many times they, they won't lay it off on somebody else. They need to check up on themselves. And so she said, I I began to see something. I said, before I get in that healing line, I'm going to have to call my brother and ask him to forgive me. She went on to explain to us that 25 years, not 25 years before the time she was talking to us, 25 years before the crusade she's in here, because the crusade uh, took place two years before she was talking to us. And she said, 
I had not spoken to my brother in 25 years. When my mother died, our mother died, and I don't know, she didn't say, but maybe, you know, over some property or something, we had a falling out after my mother had died. Just the two of them, you see, brother and sister, and had not spoken. Both of them claimed to be Christians. And now she's got into the charismatic move and got filled with the Holy Ghost. And if she'd been listening all the time, the Holy Ghost would have let her out of it. But when she heard the word, the Holy Ghost did begin to witness to her. And so she said, uh, uh, and so they hadn't spoken to one another. In 25 years, an only sister and an only brother had no communication with one another. Over a quarter of a century. She said, I said, I see what I've got to do before I get in that healing line. I've got to call him and ask my brother to forgive me. And so she said, just as soon as that morning service is over, I found me a pay telephone. Now she knew where he lived because he still lived the same place he had lived. Didn't have his phone number, but went through the operator and got his home phone number, talked to his wife and got his offing number and phoned him. And the minute she said, told him who she was, Oh, he said, I'm so glad you called. I've been thinking about calling you. She said, well, I just wanted to call you and ask you to forgive me. I was wrong. I did wrong. Oh, no, no, no. He said, you wasn't to blame. It was me. I've been intending to call you and ask you to forgive me. I'm the one that's to blame. No, she said, you're not. I'm to blame. No, he said, I know I'm to blame. No, she said, I'm to blame. Well, he said, no, I'll take 80% of the blame then. You can take 20%. No, she said, I'm more to blame than 20%. So finally they agreed to just take 50-50. And both of them asked him to forgive. You will forgive me though, she said. Oh, yes, he said, I forgive you. You forgive me. And said, you're going to come to see me, aren't you? Yes, he said, I'm down here in Tulsa at a meeting. And just as soon as the meeting's over next Sunday, well, I'm coming back to New York State and I'm coming to see you. And so they left. Close the conversation. So she said, I went away from that telephone booth just a feeling good, you know. Had me a lunch. Went to my motel room, take a little nap, get in the service tonight. I'm going to get in that healing line tonight and get my healing. <laughs> Laid down, rested for a while, and took a nap, woke up. All of her symptoms had disappeared. <laughs> she said, she said, I came out to the service that night and tried to find something so I could get in the healing line. <laughs> Never felt so good in my life. All my stomach problems are gone. Every symptom's disappeared. All my respiratory breathing problems are gone. I couldn't find anything. So I said, well, no use of me getting in the line. I've already got what I needed anyway. Hallelujah. Praise God. And two years have come and gone, and she still was well. Amen. Praise God. Now, you see, the moment she started walking in love, then she could claim the promise. While I'm talking, you turn back to the Old Testament, to the 15th chapter of, of Exodus. I made reference to the fact uh, of, a, of a, uh, on, on occasion when a young couple had a little girl, about three, that was taken with epileptic seizures, and uh, they wanted us to come and pray. The Lord said, go. And as we went, the Spirit of God said to me, in fact, it was just like somebody sitting in the back seat of our car. That's how real it was to me. It said, don't pray for the child. Don't lay your hand on the child. Well, they'd call for prayer. And of course, that's scriptural, all right. They'd call for laying on hands. That's scriptural, all right. But you see, there are times that you don't need to lay hands on anybody. 
In, in fact, if, if certain conditions are not met, you could lay hands on people till you wore every hair off the top of the head. And they wouldn't get a thing in the world out of it but a bald head. <laughs> Amen, that's the truth. I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but it's just absolutely the truth. And so the Spirit of God said to me, or the Lord by the Spirit said to me, don't pray for the child, don't lay your hand on the child, say to the mother. And this came as revelation to me, I'd never seen it that way before. Under the old covenant, I said to Israel, walk in my statutes, keep my commandments, do that which is right in my sight, and I'll take sickness away from the midst of you, and the number of your days you will fulfill paraphrasing that, and I never thought about that before. See, I knew the Old Testament said that. But the Holy Ghost said to me, Jesus through the Holy Ghost said to me, paraphrasing that into the New Testament language, you walk in my commandment of love, keep my precept of love, do that which is right in my sight, which is to walk in love. Because see, we've already read love fulfill the whole thing. I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. The number of your days you'll fulfill. Well, if he takes sickness away from the midst of it, that means you won't ever be sick, doesn't it? And the number of the days you will fulfill. Praise God, how many of you want to do that? Well, the Bible tells you exactly how to do it. Now, for just a moment, let's turn back here and see that. Incidentally, I spoke those words to that mother, and he said, say to the mother, mother, say to Satan, Satan, I'm walking in love. Take your hand off of my child. I didn't get the words out of my mouth till she turned and pointed to that child who was in the preliminary stage of these seizures and said, Satan, I'm walking in love. Take your hand off of my child. And immediately the child was all right. I mean, it stopped right then. Well, now somebody said, well, yeah, but now she was walking in love just a few days before she wasn't because she told me I hate my mother-in-law. But she got over into love. She said, what am I going to do? I said, act like you would if you did love them because you do love her. I mean, if you don't love her, you're a murderer. You read that 15th verse. We read, you know, the 14th verse a while ago of 1 John 3. We know we passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that hateth his brother is a murderer. Isn't that what the next verse said? And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. If you're born again, you have eternal life abiding in you. You have the life of God abiding in you. You have the love of God abiding in you. Amen? I don't like the way Christians use that word hate. It's not in my vocabulary. Amen. I don't even like to say I hate spinach because I don't. <laughs> I may dislike some things, but I don't hate them. I don't even hate things, much less people. And yet I hear born again, spirit-filled, charismatic Christians. I overhear them sometimes saying, I just hate old so-and-so. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. No, they really don't because if they really do, they don't have the life of God in them. They don't have the love of God in them. And they're a murderer. But what's happening is that that love that is in them, they're not responding to it. They're letting their natural thinking dominate them and their flesh dominate them. And they need to crucify the flesh. And that's hard, isn't it? That don't feel good. Amen. And they need to get their mind renewed with the word of God and let the love of God abide in them and be made manifest in them. Can you say amen? Amen. amen? amen. And so, here in the Old Testament, now notice what he said. And, and let's see if it's available to us. Here in Exodus, the 15th chapter, and the 26th verse, and said, that is God said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, will do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, 
I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, there's a little explanation here before we get into this for the simple reason that if you read from the King James translation, you'll get the impression that God literally actually puts disease or sickness on people. Now, first of all, someone said, well, that's what the Bible said. Many Hebrew scholars uh, bring out the point that in the, some of these Hebrew verbs should have been permitted or translated into permissive sense, not the causative sense. In fact, it should have been translated like this. The Lord will allow you to be smitten. The Lord will allow these plagues to come upon you. Now, you see, there are many other verses. Let's look at some of them. See, you don't have to know a thing in the world about Hebrew or homebrew, any other kind of brew. <laughs> Amen. Just, just know how to read. Let's look at some more verses here that have been translated in the causative sense. And we'll see that this should have been in a permissive sense. Now, for instance, Isaiah, the 45th chapter, the seventh verse, I'm reading the King James translation. It reads like this, that God said, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, I want to ask you the question, because you read the rest of the Bible. Does God create evil? No. See, if God did create evil, that would make God a devil. Now, God may permit evil, but he does not create evil. Amen. 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 Now, look at the King James Version of Amos, the third chapter and the sixth verse, and it declares, Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord's not done it? Well, you see, if God commits evil then he has no right whatsoever to judge man for doing evil, does he? None whatsoever. But God has not done evil. That should have been permitted, uh, translated into permissive sin. He only permits evil. There's a vast difference between commission and permission. Can you say amen? amen. Now notice again. Remember when in, in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, the 14th verse, turn and read with me, or write it down, look it up later. When King Saul backslid, you remember 1 Samuel the 16th chapter 14th verse says, but the Spirit of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit, departed from Saul, now listen, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. But I want to ask you the question, does evil spirits come from the Lord? If they do, we have no right to resist them. I mean, if evil spirits come from God, we ought to welcome them. Amen? Amen? But no, we know they do not come from God. Amen. And yet, if you'd read that from the King James translation, it would seem to say that. Now, what happened here? Very simple, what happened? You see, Saul's sin broke fellowship with God, and God permitted. He didn't send that spirit. He permitted that evil spirit from the devil to trouble him. And so, it would have been, as some Hebrew scholars point out, the original Hebrew for these scriptures should have been translated into English from the permissive sense. But because the English has no corresponding permissive sense, the verbs were translated in the causative. No, God does not send sickness upon his people, as some of these verses would seem to indicate. For the simple reason that God's Word teaches us that sickness comes from Satan. Amen. 
Acts the 10th chapter and the 38th verse. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. You see, what happened was, these people broke his commandments. When they did, they were out from under his divine protection. They couldn't claim his protection anymore. And all God could do, he couldn't do anything else but that, was to permit the devil to bring these afflictions upon them. You see, their sin and their wrongdoing was the thing that brought those dreadful diseases and plagues upon Israel. But if you'll keep my commandments, I'll take sickness away from the midst of thee, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, here's another thing. Let me show you. Let me give you another illustration. And I think you can see it. For instance, you have a little child, you know, three, four years old in your home. You see that child about to stick its hand to a hot cast iron skillet you're cooking. And you grab that hand and say, honey, don't touch that. That'll burn. And then you turn your back, go doing something else. And about that time you hear the child scream. And you turn and they've stuck their hand to that hot skillet. You pull it away and all the skin comes off. Well, you permitted them to do it, didn't you? But you didn't commission them. Why did you permit it? Because you couldn't do anything about it. They've got a will of their own. Your back's turned. If they want to do it, they can do it. And if people wanted to sin, break his commandments, they could do it. He's just remind them what's going to happen if you do. Amen? Amen? And not only that, that wasn't your way of teaching that child that a hot skillet burns. You're not that cruel. And that wasn't God's way of teaching you to put sickness on you. The sin don't pay. That's too cruel. You see, sickness and disease is not of love and God is love. Amen. amen? I said amen. amen. So we need to see that. But the thought we wanted to establish was, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now turn right on over to Exodus, the 23rd chapter, and notice. 23rd chapter of Exodus, 25th and 26th verses, and ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water. Now I don't believe that means that that's all they'd have to eat was bread and drink was water. But that's symbolic. He'll bless your food. I'll bless your food. And I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. Well, if sickness was taken away from the midst of them, that's talking about Israel, they wouldn't be sick then, would they? I said, would they? I'll take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in the land. Now notice, but if they're not going to be sick, they wouldn't die, would they? No. He said, the number of thy days I will fulfill. Now turn over to Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter. And notice that God said it again. Seventh chapter and the 15th verse of Deuteronomy. And the Lord will take away from thee some sicknesses. All sickness. And will allow none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee, but will allow them upon all them that hate thee. The Lord will take away from thee all sickness. So, it, now while I'm talking, turn again to the 13th chapter of Romans. And so he said then to Israel, no, no, no Bible scholar, no theologian anywhere will dispute it. Everybody knows, we just got through reading it. You keep my commandments, you walk in my statutes, you do that which is right in my sight. 
I'll take sickness, I'll bless your bread and water. I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. The number of your days you're fulfilled. So then they had the potentiality of living their full length of time out down here below and not ever even being sick, didn't they? I said, didn't they? They had the the possibility existed. The possibility, the potentiality of living the full length of time out down here below on this earth without sickness and without disease and fulfill the number of their days and without sickness not even get sick to die. Amen. Just simply know they fulfill their days. Sort of like F.F. Bosworth who wrote Christ Christ the Healer. We teach that here. He was 80 some odd years of age. Well, it was reported that he had a heart attack. Well, naturally, your heart's going to have to stop or else you're not going to die. That's a sense. If it keeps beating, you're going to stay around here. And so Brother Osborne, who lived here in Tulsa at the time, moved back here and out, uh, he said he flew down to Miami, Florida, where he lived, and he to see him. And he said, when I went in the room, when I, when, when I was ushered in, he, he was sitting up in bed. And when he saw me, he said, Whoa, Brother Osborne, it's time for me to go home. Greatest day of my life. God showed me it's time for me to go home. Hallelujah. Whoa, glory to God. And he went home. That's a good way to go, isn't it? Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, that's what he said. Somebody said, yeah, but not Brother Hagin. That's for Israel. That's not for us. That doesn't belong to us. Well, now remember, I said for you to keep in mind that word over there in that eighth chapter of of Hebrews where we read that we've got a better covenant, better covenant established on better promises, better promises, better covenant. What if you've got a friend, you know, and you say, I heard y'all got a new house. Oh, yes, yes, we've got a new house. Oh, it's so much better than the one we had. You know, we did live in a three-bedroom, two baths, and Wall-to-wall carpet. We've got one bedroom and a half bath and no carpet. Much better. You'd say, dear God, have they gone crazy? Have they lost their mind? So we come over to the New Testament. We read here in the Old Testament. Keep my commandment. Fulfill my law. I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. The number of your days you'll fulfill. But we come over to a better covenant. Keep my law. Fulfill my commandment. And you'll be sick and afflicted all your life. (laughs) Don't make sense, does it? Doesn't make sense, does it? Doesn't make sense, does it? All right, again, look into this 13th chapter of Romans. Look into this 13th chapter of Romans. Let's read it again. Owe no man anything but to love one another. Now, sometimes we take a verse out of its setting, make it say something. Some people think that that means you oughtn't to buy anything on credit. No, you ought to pay your bills. Now, if you don't know how to use credit, of course, you may have to give up credit. But that don't mean we people that's got some sense don't have to follow insensitive and stupid acts. Amen. Amen. I said amen. No, that's not what it means at all. I know of a church because one of our one of our Rhema people told me about it and he wasn't the pastor. He was only there just as an assistant. And they got a good church going down to Texas running over 200, 200 and something. 
but they rented a building. You see, they just just a commercial building, but running over 200. Think about that in attendance, doing right well. And so a Baptist church outgrew their facilities. These nice facilities, they just couldn't, in the part of town where they were, they couldn't get any more property. So they went out to the edge of town, bought quite a large acreage and built a new church. And they offered to sell them their facilities at a real low price because they said people who are now dead have given money to, uh, to build this church. And some people wanted to, they could have made money because some developers wanted to buy the property, tear the church down and build commercial property on it. See, because it could be done. Now, it's owned that way, see. And they'd made more money, but they said, no, we wanted to go on being used as a church. Now, after all, we may disagree theologically, but one thing about it, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And, and without the shedding of blood, there's no risk missing of sin. You believe that just as much as we do. We'll sell it to you at this reduced price. One of the ladies of that congregation, her husband was a lawyer. And he'd come to church with her some. He heard them discussing it. And he said, I'll put up all the money. Give them all the money. Finance it for you. At 2% interest. Think about that. He said, I think that 2% would maybe pay the secretary for taking care of the book work. And they could make a monthly payment, you see. But the pastor said, no, no. Bible said, oh, no man, anything. We're not going into debt. They didn't go into debt. You don't get in debt until after you don't pay it. And then you owe it. Amen, as long as I'm paying, don't you, don't you pay your house rent? You owe that, don't you? But if you miss it and don't pay it, then you're in debt. Don't you pay your light bill? Amen? Sure, you use lights on the credit all the month. Water too, don't you? Promise to pay, don't you? Sure you do. See, see but people have gone to the extremes about this and have missed God. And, and the curse came on them instead of the blessing and struggled when they could have been blessed. And so this man said, no, no, think about that. Think about that. Just buy the thing for them, this man, and finance it for them for 2% interest. And that was back there when interest was high. And he said, if, if we can get by with 1%, if I can see my secretary can keep books, you know, and, and we can get by, we'll, we'll just charge you 1%. No, no, we're not going in debt. Bible said, oh, no, man, that's not what the Bible said. It didn't apply to them any more than it applied to you landing on Mars two weeks ago. <laughs> and that Rhema graduate went on to tell me, because see, see, he's not the pastor. He's just there working, helping them as an associate. But, you know, he knew this wrong, but you don't speak up, you know. You don't take sides against the leader, even if he is wrong. He'll find it out. If you don't, why, the congregation will find it out. But he went on to tell me that in less than two years' time, the church is dead, not a person in it is gone. They miss God. I said they miss God. No, that's not what that means. It has no reference to that whatsoever. I just thought about, if that's what it meant, I thought about Clint and Sarah, you know, Utterback, graduates of Raymond. They, they uh, you know, were, went with us. And Clint would sing. And they went across Canada in the summer, and then in the fall, while they started in their home in Hackensack. We used to call them Utterback and Hackensack. <laughs> New Jersey. Started in their home. Outgrew that, rented a place. And then they bought just two years ago, two years and four months ago. They see, they kept saving up money until they had a, a million and a half dollars in the building fund. And they bought a dinner theater over in Manunette, New York and spent a million and a half on it, just stripped the thing out. 
and redone the inside of it. And they paid a million down. So they owed a million and a half on the building then. And they just, we just talked to them the other day and said we just paid it all. In two years and four months' time, we paid $4 million. And all we've got is clear. Well, what if they hadn't taken that step? God couldn't have blessed them because it didn't do anything. Amen. Folks want to be blessed, but you've got to do something to get blessed. Amen. They don't do anything, so they don't get blessed. But they did something. That other bunch didn't do anything, so they didn't get blessed. A curse fell on them. Amen. Think about that. Sure, you can say, well, they owed a million this. They spent a million and a half redoing the thing. Beautiful church. I went up and dedicated it. Filled the thing up. Seat 3,200. Well, you can seat 3,250 people. Uh, you, you could crowd in 3,500 easy enough because you could set chairs all the way around because it's in the round. But the last night, we had 4,300 and some odd. We had people out on the parking lot watching a closed circuit television. Praise God. Amen. Well, thank God. No, that's not what that meant. But to love one another, that's a debt that we love everybody, is to love one another. And that's a debt you'll never get paid. Amen. To love one another. For he that loveth another, now notice this, look at that 8th verse of that 13th chapter of Romans. He that loveth another hath done what? Now what did God say to Israel? Keep my commandments, my statutes, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. That's the commandment, that's the law of the old covenant. But he said, he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. Then I fulfill the law, but I don't get the same blessing. Rather than that, I get the curse. Because you can read there in the Old Testament, 28th chapter Deuteronomy, and he said, all of these curses shall come on you. And he enumerates 11 different diseases, and finally said, also every disease and every sickness is not written in the book of this law. Are you listening? So I, I walk in love, and the curse comes on me. And I go through life cursed. I go through life sick and afflicted. Don't make sense, does it? It would have been better. Think about what we lost by Jesus coming and dying. It would have been better if he hadn't come. We could all become Jewish proselytes, couldn't we? Gentiles did, didn't they? And by becoming a Jewish proselyte, there would have been a possibility of us. We could have had the potentiality of never being sick. But no, Jesus came and died and shed his blood. And now then we can't even, we can keep the same law. And if we walk in love, we fulfill the law, but we don't get the same blessing. We get the curse instead of the blessing. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, it looks to me like 12-year-old kid, one and a half cent. No better than that. <laughs> now, let's go on read. Let's read so you'll know it. Look at the ninth verse again. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. Now, notice... And if there be any other commandment, if there's any more besides this and they are, you know that. But listen, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Notice the 10th verse. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Well, then I walk in love, I fulfill the law. Then the blessing should be mine, shouldn't it? Amen. 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 Well, now somebody said, well, yeah, but now I knew so and so, but you see, you've got to claim the blessing. 
Did you ever stop to think about it? The new birth, the remission of sins belongs to the worst wretch that lives in this city. It's theirs. Why don't they have it? It's either because they don't know it, haven't heard about it, or else they heard about it and rejected it. The same thing's true here. It's because folks haven't heard and Satan takes advantage of them. God said in his word, my people perish or destroyed because of the lack of knowledge. If you don't know it, Satan take advantage of it. If you did hear it and didn't accept it, Satan will take advantage of you. Though you're a child of God, these blessings don't fall on you just like ripe cherries off of a tree. Now again, let's go to that fifth chapter of Galatians. We read it a while ago. We'll read it again because he reiterates it. That 14th verse of the fifth chapter of Galatians. For all of the law, how much of it? How much of it? All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. What is it? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How many do that? Not many that I know of. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I've observed this. I saw this truth. I may not have preached it as I should, but I saw this truth years ago. And, and uh, I've never been attacked physically or sick. Now, you, you, know, you understand this, that a person can act stupid. You know, be hot and sweaty and go out in cold weather without your top coat on, not take care of yourself. Then you've got to repent of your stupidity before you can believe God. Now, I've had something like that to happen to me a time or two. If I'd listened to God and my wife, it'd have been so much better off. <laughs> Amen. Now, something like that happens. You understand that. Or my wife tell me, you ought to eat that. She tastes it. She has a better taster and a smeller too than I do. It don't smell right. It don't taste. You ought to eat that. And I ate it anyhow, and I got sick at my stomach. And then I had to repent of my stupidity, asked her to forgive me, asked the Lord to forgive me, and then I could get healed. And I did. But I've never really been attacked in body unless I'd missed it in all of these years. And every single time I run just fast as I can and get back in. See, every step out of, out of love is sin. And if you get out of it, run as fast as you can, get back in. And the minute I got back in, then I'm all right physically. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Don't mean I had to wait several days for it to clear up. Amen. Amen. But most of the time, immediately, or else I'm well on the road, you know, to the road of recovery. Uh, and so, uh, I, I, I'm very careful about this. I always have been. To walk in love. Love worketh what? No Ill. What? No Ill, no Ill to his neighbor. That means to anyone. And especially that should be among we Christians. My wife and I went one time to preach for some folks. Bless their hearts. And so we got there. Well, I'll tell you the truth about the matter. See, we're out on the field. We got two children in private school. They're just taking all the money we get. And you're preaching in churches. They'll just let you get so much anyway. You're going to be, you're going to be uh, no matter how much faith you've got, you're going to be hindered by those around you. I can prove that by the scripture. You go back in the Old Testament. Remember they sent the 12 spies in to spy out the land of Canaan. Two of them brought back a good report. Ten of them brought back an evil report. And that bunch held Caleb and Joshua back 40 years. 
Caleb and Joshua had faith and they eventually got in all right, but that unbelieving bunch has withheld them back 40 years. You get in with an unbelieving bunch, you say, unbelieving? Well, these are all people of God. Yeah, there's nothing in the world is as strange and nothing in the world is bad as an unbelieving believer. Amen. So they just let you have so much money anyway. And so we'd, we'd, we'd just send everything off we had. We just had enough money to buy gasoline. Stop by a little sandwich to get there, traveling by car. And so we got there, preached that night. Thought, well, they'll take us out to eat after church. They didn't take us out to eat after church. We went to bed, got up the next morning. They got up and left because we stayed in the parsonage with them. They got up and left before we got out of bed. And so we, we got up eventually. We just had the night services. And we're just going to be there for a week. And, and, and so my wife wondered, you know, I said, well, they probably maybe went to get something. They'll come back directly. And we'll probably fix breakfast. But they didn't come back. And so then said, well, they'll probably come back at lunch, you know, and take us out to a cafeteria. I, I'd, I'd seen one there, you know. But we really didn't have any money to buy anything because we'd send it all off. We owed it. And, and so they didn't come back at noontime. And so we didn't have anything to eat. And they finally come in about church time, got ready, never said a word about anything to eat. Got ready. We went to church. And I thought, well, after church, now you see it's been a day and a half since we've had anything to eat. You know, after a day and a half, your stomach begins to rub your backbone. I mean, we're not fasting. We just ain't got nothing to eat. And I thought, well, after church, they'll take us out. But we finished the church service, second night, went home, never said a word about anything to eat. Went to bed, so we went to bed, got up the next morning. They got up and left before we got up. So now we over into the second day and haven't had anything to eat. I thought, well, they'll come back by noon, take us out. They, they didn't come back, take us out. So I said to my wife, let's go in the kitchen and see what we can find. And so we went in there and found one shrivel of weenie, one egg, and one slice of bread. It's sort of stale. So we fixed a piece of toast, boiled the weenie, cooked the egg, had a half egg, half a weenie, half a piece of bread, and a glass of water apiece. <laughs> and I said, I know what I'm going to do. I said to my wife, I know what I'm going to do. See, your flesh and your mind gets all stirred up. I'm going to call the district superintendents. I've got their private number right here in my billfold. I can call them at home. I've got their private number. They gave it to me when I preached over in their area. And they're, they're superintendent over this whole thing here. But in their city, I preached. I'm going to call the district superintendent. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask them, what kind of preachers do you have here in your district? We haven't had anything to eat here for two days. Treat us, you know, like we're... What? You know, nothing. And so I went to the phone and dialed the operator, you know, because I'm going to, uh, you know, get the charges so I can pay him for it. But before the operator ever answers, I hung the phone up. You say, why? Something inside me constrained me. Something inside me constrained me. Something inside me constrained me. I went back in the room. My wife said, what did he say? I said, I didn't call him. I said, these dear people, these pastors, bless their hearts, they're not going to make it. People like that act like that. They're not going to make it. But I'm not going to contribute to their downfall. I'm not going to trip them up. I'm going to act in love. And so we went on. That's all we had. 
they finally come in before church and never said anything about anything to eat. We went to church, never said anything about going and getting anything to eat. No, they haven't given us any offering yet or we could have gone and got us something to eat. And so here we are over into the third day. Your stomach's showing up as a rub in your backbone. <laughs> I said, that, you know, that, you know, you get to, your, your flesh gets to crying out. I'm going to call him. I'm going to call that superintendent. Just gripe and fuss, you know, to my wife. I'm going to call him and ask him, what kind of people do you, what kind of preachers, pastors do you have? Went to do it. Dialed the operator, but hung it up. Oh, I said, what did they say? I said, I didn't call him. <laughs> Something inside me. I said, wouldn't let me. Actually, it didn't just rise up and say, you don't do it. It constrained me. The love of Christ constraineth us, the scripture said. I said, no, no, I, I can't, I can't. I said, uh, you know, I, I'm good mine. Just when the service is over tonight, get in the car and leave. But then I can't do that. I've got some gasoline, all right, and I might get to where I was going, but I can't do that because in the first place, the people's going to ask, where's Brother Hagin? That's going to make it look, I can't do anything that makes it look bad on the pastor. I'm not acting in love if I do. I can't say anything. I can't do anything. Makes it look bad on the pastor. Amen. See, you'll find out this is the reason there's so much sickness in the church. There's much sickness among preachers and pastors and evangelists. They will walk in love one toward another. Amen. And then you can't get them healed. I was, when we were on the field in ministry in 1944, 1945, we went to a larger town, not a real large one, but to do some shopping and I ran onto the pastor there on the streets. Well, how you doing? I could see you didn't look too good. Bless his heart, looked like sort of like his face looked like a last year's bird nest. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, well, he wasn't doing too well. What's the matter? Well, he said, I've, I've got ulcers of the stomach. Want you to pray for me. Well, how's the church doing? Well, we're doing fairly well. But said, you know what? I said, what? You know, you know so-and-so, mentioned another minister, a brother in the Lord. Remember the same full gospel denomination all three of us were? Yeah. You know, he came in here and started another church here in my town. I said, he did? Yeah. He said, I never will forgive him. I knew right then what caused his ulcers. Amen. I knew it wouldn't do any more good to pray for his ulcers than it would to pray that he'd go to Mars. And then they hadn't even got off the ground yet before getting into space. Amen. Amen. Other than airplanes are flying around, you know what I mean, going off space. Wouldn't do a bit of good in the world. No, I said, I never will forgive him. Come in here to my town. I said, your town? Yeah, only full gospel church. I said, I want to ask you a question. The last two years before he started down there, he's been down there about two years. Before he started, I said, uh, what, uh, what was your, uh, how much did you average in Sunday school? Year before last, 112. That's babies, kids, grown up, everybody. 112. What did you average then the year that he came and started? 113. I said, What are you averaging now in Sunday school? He's been down there in the south part of town two years. Oh, he said, We're averaging anywhere from 240 to 260 every Sunday. I said, Glory to God. I said, How many is he averaging? down there in the south part of town in Sunday school. Oh, he said, I'm sorry to say he's beating us anywhere from 260 to 280. I said, you ought to be shouting and rejoicing. 
Before he came, you had 112, averaged 112. She may go more and sometime. You averaged 112 and 113. But now last Sunday, for instance, and right now, both of you folks are averaging over 500. The town's only about 15,000, 16,000 people, but you've reached about 500 of them. Praise God, you ought to pray that God send somebody to start one in the east part of town. Pray that God send somebody to start one in the west part of town. No, but this is my town. I'm not going to forgive him, but I want you to pray for me. Well, of course, you don't say, well, no, I'm not going to pray. I said, well, okay, I'll pray. You know, he didn't mean pray on the street. He's when you pray, remember me. But you know, every time I remember him, I might as well twiddle my thumb and say, twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. It would have done just as much good. So I heard the man had been operated on for ulcers of the stomach. And then I saw him at a convention. And he looked again like last year's bird nest. And, and, and he wanted me to pray for him. And he said, you know, I was operated on. I said, I heard you were. But he said, I still got my, the ulcers have come back. Would you pray for me? Just lay your hand on me right now. We were there at a convention. I, I laid my hand and prayed and stumbled along with a prayer. and knew he wasn't going to get healed. Like I said, you might as well just have said anything. Done just as much good. I don't know. I think sometimes we sort of need the boldness of Wigglesworth. Amen. Amen. Wigglesworth said a fellow came to him and said, what's wrong with you? Well, he said, my arm, my right arm. said, I can't raise it up. Just raise it just a little bit. Well, he said, you got any faith? Oh, he said, I got all kinds of faith. He said, you're a liar. <laughs> if you had all kinds of faith, you wouldn't be up here. I wanted to tell some people that's so bad it hurt. <laughs> Sometimes I think really you're more acting in love to do that. Because it startles them, gets them awakened, awakened, amen, and understand and see where they are. I don't know whether that's love at all or not, just to disregard it and go your way. But this minister I'm talking about, I noticed this, that when he forgave that man, because I know something about it, he never has had any more stomach problem, never had another operation. Those ulcers disappeared. They disappeared. They disappeared. They disappeared. Last church, well, one church, not the last one, but one church I pastored. A lady came to the pastors one day and said, Brother Hagin, I've got a question for you. Now, you're a faith and healing preacher. I said, I am. I'll plead guilty. I sure am. Well, now, she said, I've got a question for you. Well, I braced myself and got ready for it. She said, now, you know, now, don't count me in because I'm just eight months old, just a baby of Christ. But my mother and sister and other relatives... Not any better Christians in this church. Not any more faithful. Pay their tithes. So on. Spiritual. Well, I said, I agree with you. I've only been here a few months, but I agree with you. She said, uh, actually, her mother's one of the most spiritual persons I ever met. I, I think she's more spiritual at that time than any five preachers I knew. Put together. But it don't matter how spiritual you are, how many gifts of the Spirit operating through you. There's certain qualifications you have to meet if you're going to enjoy God's blessings and best. Well, now she said, uh, you didn't know my husband's family because his mother was elderly and went home to be with the Lord before you came and the rest of the family moved away. Of course, you know my husband. Naturally, I think I got the best one of the family. Well, I said, I agreed with her. But she said, now, my husband's family and my, 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 my mother's, not me now, I just, I, I would come to church, but I wasn't a Christian. I was in this church here for 23 years. See, almost a quarter of a century. And if a one of our family has ever received healing, I don't know it. 
Not a one of us has ever been healed. We always wind up going to the hospital, being operated on and dying. Two of them died, had died prematurely. But now, my husband's family, the M family, if over this same period of time, not near as faithful of Christians, not near as good of Christians, but if one of them ever failed to get healed, I don't know it. Well, I said, Madge, you haven't asked me anything. You told me something. Well, she said, here's my question. How come? <laughs> well, I said, I don't know why. Some people, one family, the most faithful family in the church, the most dependable in every single way, always there, always there with their tithes and offerings, support. Why, they never did get healed. Another family always did, unless God gave me a revelation. I don't know why one person gets healed and another doesn't let God reveal it to you, but I know this. You see, if people get results over a long period of time, she's talking about a quarter of a century. 23 years is almost a quarter of a century, isn't it? If they get results, you know, folks might get healed once on somebody else's faith. But over the long haul, it's because they're in line with God's word. And so I said, I would say this to you without knowing your husband's family, I know him of course, but without knowing the family, I would say that this M family had two outstanding characteristics. Now you write them down, don't forget them because that's still love. Remember I said love and forgiveness goes hand in hand. You write them down. Number one, and number one has two points to it. Number one, A, they were quick to repent. B, they were quick to forgive. And then number two, they were quick to believe. Now, we'll forget it. That dear woman's eyes, you know, I'm speaking figuratively, of course, got as big as saucers. Her mouth fell open and she said, why, Brother Hagin, you've hit the nail right on the head. See, I didn't know the family. I said, no, I'm not that smart. I didn't hit the nail on the head. The Bible did. I've got a book that has all the answers. I have a book that has all the answers in it. It's called Holy Bible. Now, it may not have the answer that you want, but it's got the answer. Just accept it. I remember one time when Jesus appeared to me in one of those visions, you know, from 1950 through 1959, he appeared to me eight times. Three times out of the eight, he talked to me for an hour and a half. And I remember one conversation, he said to me, Fulfill your ministry. Be thou faithful. Fulfill your ministry. The time is short. Amen. And he just turned like somebody holding a conversation to him. He just turned and walked away. And he walked two or three steps. And this came up out of the inside of me. I said, Dear Lord Jesus. And he turned and looked. And I said, Before you go, may I ask you something, please? And he retraced two or three steps there and said, Yes. And I asked him this question. Now, I'll stop and explain something to you. After that kind of an experience is over... You know, we say, and we may be speaking figuratively, you think of a thousand things to ask. But you don't think of them at a time like that. It's not a mental experience. Those things are just in your mind. It's what's on your heart, in your spirit. That's what you're concerned about, and that's what you ask. And this thing was the only thing that's on my heart. I said, why didn't so-and-so, one of my own relatives, why didn't so-and-so receive their healing? He wasn't an old person. Why didn't they receive their healing? Asked him the question face to face. And he said to me, didn't you ever read in my word where it says the secret thing belongeth unto the Lord? 
I said, yes. That's Deuteronomy 29, 29. I quoted the whole thing. He just quoted part of it. I said, it says, the secret thing belongeth unto the Lord, but that which is revealed belongs to us and our children forever. He said, well, why they didn't get healed is a secret between me and them. If I wanted you to know, I'd have told you. That's plain enough, isn't it? Now you go right on preaching faith and healing just like you're preaching it and don't you touch that in thought life anymore. Well, he's my witness. I've never touched it in thought life again. I've never touched it. I left it with him. That might not have been the answer I want, but that's the answer. And it is an answer. And that's all you need. That's all you need. And if there are things you don't know about, well, just remember the secret thing belongs to the Lord. That's a secret between him and them. And if he had wanted you to know, he'd have told you. And if he didn't tell you, he didn't want you to know. So quit thinking about it. Amen. 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 I said, Amen. Amen. So she said, you've hit the nail right on the head. I said, no, I didn't hit the nail on the head. God did. I got that from Mark, gospel. 11th chapter, 23rd, 24th, and 25th verse. She said, my, my husband's mother and the whole family, they're the quickest people I've ever seen in my life to forgive you. And they'd take all the responsibility when even they weren't to blame, say, I'm to blame for it, forgive me. And they meant it. And she said, there's quickest people to repent I've ever seen in my life and the quickest people to believe. In fact, said, I believe they could stay out of church the longest and come back and get into church and get into the altar and repent the fastest and believe God the quickest and get blessed the most of anybody ever seen in my life. <laughs> but now I said, you take mama and us, our family. Now we will eventually forgive you because we know we have to, but we'll hold out as long as we dare. <laughs> well, you see, you may die while you're holding out. And then she said, when it comes to believing, we're the slowest people we've ever seen to believe. Well, really, they got the answer themselves. Amen. Amen. Say it out loud. Love, Love worketh, worketh no, ill no ill to his neighbor. To his neighbor. I don't know about you preachers or evangelists or pastors, wherever you are. I pastored nearly 12 years. Went out on the field in 1949, been out there ever since then. And I never left a church where I held a meeting. But when I'd go down the road weeping, drive my car down the road weeping, saying, dear Lord, I hope I haven't left that pastor in a mess that I've been left with. If I did, I repent. If I did, it was a mistake of the head, not the heart. My heart was right. Amen. Amen. I'd tell a pastor when I'd preach for him. Now, if there's anything I'm doing that you think I shouldn't do, just tell me and I'll stop it. If there's anything I'm saying that you don't think I ought to say, you tell me and I'll stop it. You see, I'm not there to create division. I'm not there to divide his church. I don't care how much I know and how deep I think I am and I need to instruct them. I'm not there to divide his church because love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Well, love wouldn't work any ill to the pastor. I'm here to bless you. Sometimes on some truths, I'd just give them a little bit of it. Sometimes the pastor would say, Brother Hagin, I'm beginning to see something. Why don't you give us a little bit more of that? I'd give them a little bit more. I've had the pastor say, but they go, won't you just take a hold? I, I saw something tonight. See, I just got over the edge of it and left it alone then. Why don't you give us a whole lesson on that? He'd get up and tell the crowd, I've asked Brother Hagin to give us a whole lesson. Here's something I've never heard before. It did something for me. And the crowd began to applaud. So I gave him a whole lesson on it. No, I just didn't go around pushing things off on people. Amen. Right. Amen. Amen. Get down there where they are. Praise God and meet them on the level where they are. Amen. And bless them. 
And if you can't bless them, well, certainly don't work any ill to them. Amen. 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 But teachers have divided, really, and created more division in the body of Christ. They get some little old something, and they're gonna, gonna just harp on that. Are you listening to me? Amen. Amen. Well, if it's a real truth, share it with them as best you can. I'll be perfectly honest with you, just as honest as I can. Paul himself made the statement to the Hebrews and to the Corinthians, you ought to be teachers, you still have to be taught. I, I, I fed you on milk. I remember Charles Finney said, when he was 80 some odd years old, in his autobiography, Finney said, there's a lot of deeper truths of God that I know, I've never been able to preach them though. Because he said if he was an evangelist, you see, and if I get away from that call, I lose the anointing. We want to stay with our anointing. There's some things that I'd like to share spiritually. I've been able with some individual to share something. But there's some deeper things that I'd like to share. There's some things that God wants to do in the body of Christ today, but we're not ready for it. But let's get ready. What do you say? Amen. 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 Say it out loud. Thank God. Thank God. I'm born again. I'm born again. I'm born of God. I'm born of God. And God is love. And God is I'm love. born of love. I'm born of love. I purpose, I purpose in my heart, in my heart to, walk in love, to walk in love, talk in love, talk in love act, in love, act in, love, in love, and live free, and live free of sickness and disease. Sickness and, disease. and should Jesus tarry his coming, I live my full length of time out down here below. Without sickness and disease, and finally just fall asleep in Jesus. For I'm a believer, I'm a lover, I'm not a doubter. Hallelujah. Now put your other hand up and thank Him for it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.